pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. Keith, I have a confession to make. I screwed up last week big time. And I, 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 uh, I have to rectify this. So last week during our discussion on Will and Grace, I made a big point to call out two obscure actors who happened to be on Seinfeld in equally obscure roles, right? The delivery guy and the guy who told Elaine he had a big, she had a big head. Yeah. But I missed the most obvious one of all, Deborah Messing herself. I forgot to call out that Deborah Messing had been on Seinfeld twice as his character Beth in the season seven episode, The Wait Out, and then again in season eight in the yada yada. So I'm just, if people are listening to that and they're like, wait a minute, Deborah Messing, hello. Uh, I'll, I'll call that out right now on myself. So if uh, people can visualize this conversation, I'm giving the Jim, Jim Halpert look to the camera. Yeah, deservedly <laughs> so. So yeah, so I think I'll just keep it to like top line actors from now on who's been in. No, I love this about you. I love like, I love this. This is like me p- picking out a Simpson background character, at least like four to seven uh, seasons, like up until 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's keep. This is your superpower. Yeah. Yeah. Don't I was hide just, from it. I was so focused on trying to find an impressive call out that, again, I missed the most obvious one. <laughs> the only one really worth mentioning. There's a lesson in life to that. Yeah. Like, you, you miss the one standing right at your doorway. You're looking all around. Things are right. It was right in front of you the whole time. I'm sure a lot of TV shows have that same lesson over and over again. Uh, but, you know, now we're moving on from our 90s sitcom discussions. And for the month of October, we are going to be discussing the vampire genre of television. Ah, so, ah, ah. You know, that was quite a trend in the 90s and 2000s film and, and television about vampires and all different kinds of takes on the mythology. You know, I mean, our... In film, for example, right? You had Interview with the Vampire was a big hit. And you also had... um, Bram Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, vampires are sexy. I took... Like, the English major, if I could contribute anything that I gotten out of my uh, double major in um, English was uh, I did take a class based on vampires. It was gothic literature, but vampires Mm -hmm. was more the focus and just kind of really dissecting vampires and you know, we read like Frankenstein too but vampires in uh, literature yeah yeah I mean it's an interesting mythology to to depict I think there's something always very alluring about the vampire there's always a sense of danger eroticism there you know like yes. almost like a forbidden romance is is typically involved in these vampire stories as we'll also see in the show we're discussing today so there's there's a lot there to explore and of course there's a lot of a lot of themes of vampires can stand in uh as an allegory for the human condition as well so that's why it's always a compelling thing that people are drawn to uh and i think today we'll talk about maybe the um, maybe not the first ever vampire show but certainly one that a lot of people our age grew up with and that would be buffy the vampire slayer
I mean, right off the top, Keith, is this a show that you watched growing up or caught at least here and there? No. Uh, this is – I this show came out in 97, so I was maybe a little bit too young for it. But I knew why she was famous. I knew of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I like I right. I remember her episode where she hosts SNL. Like I knew why uh, she was famous. I think she was winning like those Teen Choice Awards and stuff. Oh, big time! But I, to ever, I've been recommended the show so many times since college on. Like people was like, and people are shocked when I'm like, no, I've never, I've never seen one episode, and I am really coming at it with. 95% fresh eyes because I do it is a big pop culture show I am aware of some spoilers like the maybe one or two the big one mm-hmm. uh, but I t- here's something that's so I had no idea Xander existed I had no idea of that character I knew of I knew of Willow I I know uh, of Spike yeah. down the lane I've never Xander has I was like who is this guy and what does he do You know, the face looked familiar to me because this is a show that I also didn't really watch regularly as a kid because I was, again, too young. But I believe my sister and my older cousins were into this show. This is perfect for your sister's age. Right. and she's right sweet spot. She loves this show, my sister, and uh, a friend of Eric's is obsessed with the show. I think the the fans of the show, it's like a, a cult following basically definitely it's very niche it's like if we were to recommend this to like a group of our friends and like 10 of them i would say maybe like two of them have watched it and one of them might be very interested that's Mm -hmm. that's how i think i think people who love this show love it the same way i love seinfeld where they know basically all the plot elements in and out from seasons one through seven they have very strong opinions about certain things so uh, I think this is a very much a culture in itself, the the fandom of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So hopefully we do that audience proud tackling this pilot episode, or this, should I say, two-part premiere, because uh, as we'll go into this, this, this first episode really is in two parts, and so we'll be discussing the first part this week and ending on a bit of a cliffhanger before we get into the next part next week. Um, which you know we had a little bit of debate about whether we just wanted to capture part one or part two but you know i think we want to honor how this show was initially presented to the viewing public which was in the two episodes and it does like the thing about buffy is she's not always slaying vampires like they like i'll to every person who's recommended buffy to me i'll have you know that as of today i am starting the second season i dig it yeah. I, I i dig it very much and i'm like it's it's kind of like dating. It's like I'm, we're kind of going out on coffee dates at this moment. I do watch it. It's a great Saturday morning cartoon, and I don't mean that as an insult because I think this show kind of reminds me of so many things that I did. It has like a little bit of Kim Possible, has a little bit of like the 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 format ish of Power Rangers. There's like it's just like that case of the week show with characters that I that are very clever for their own good. A bit too clever, but that's Whedon for you. Well, and, you have that yeah. 90s uh, swarmy sort of attitude, and I totally get what you're saying, especially with the makeup. It also reminds me a bit of Goosebumps in a way. Those yes, are, yeah. <laughs> they do not just the makeup of 
the vampires, but I know there's some like demonic characters that come in later on that have more sort of full-fledged uh, involved makeup. So that also kind of reminded me of the sort of things you'd seen either the Goosebumps show or the Goosebumps video games at the time. Uh, a bit of the campy element while still having a bit of the edge. But this was, again, geared more towards uh, an older teen audience as opposed to younger kids. But uh, I could see how, like, that teenage girl, I could see your sister, like, really watching this. Like, and yeah. just because it, it's it's about high school. Like, a lot of the episodes, there's a little bit of, deg like, Degrassi in the sense that, like, each episode is kind of uh, interesting, like, you know, cyberbullying or at least talking to someone like a stranger mm -hmm. on the, inter the interwebs because this is <laughs> yeah. early uh, internet age. You know, uh, I know. Yeah, those high school is hell is how they sold this, and yeah, no, just take that one little bit of high school, the uh, the big dance, and just add vampires or demons or yeah. any anything to it, and it's a winning combo. It it kind of like if it wasn't as well written as it was, I don't know if it the writing is kind of what sells it at at least to someone who is so new to it. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that every idea. You know, strong or weak always requires a good execution. So I yeah. think it was a smart concept that was executed in a smart way, thankfully. Now, but I think, sorry, before, I think we should talk about just there is an elephant in the room. Like, I am aware, or like, of course, it's been out known for a while that, like, how toxic and how toxic of an environment that Whedon ran, especially from like listening to some. In interviews from Buffy castmates it sounded like he was just like a bully and I'm not of course I'm we condemn it like a sound, guy sounds like an asshole I'm it's I'm separating the art and the artist like he he did write a good product and I don't want to take away from Sarah Michelle Geller or any of these actors right. I think they did a fantastic job and I don't like I am kind of digging it without even kind of thinking of Whedon and I just he he is there because it is his sig he his signature writing tra uh, traits, but I uh, I think it's just to acknowledge that yeah no it's the guy's an asshole, and it's amazing the king of the nerds at one point like he went from directing I think the most mainstream he ever got was Avengers and then yep. he directed or helped direct Justice League and that's when it kind of just all imploded on him and then I was listening to charisma. Uh, Charisma Carpenter and uh, James Marsters, who plays Spike, just like yeah, no, it it seems like a if it things did not go his way, he became a uh, toxic bully, and of course, like it's there's a lesson in just reading about all that. Yeah, I I'm glad you brought that up. That's something that is definitely worth acknowledging, and it's too bad because it I don't want that to mar the legacy of yeah. this show because the fans do love it so much and yeah. you know we'll we'll take that uh as as the best you can i'll say this about like separating the art and the artist i've been having this discussion with friends for years now and my opinion of it is everyone has their own take on it like if you don't want to watch if you're so hurt by a show or at least a a, guy, uh, a movie or tv show is ruined for you because of that person that's okay don't I'm not going to shame you and don't shame others who do watch it. That's everyone has their own level of separation of the art and the artist. And it sucks cuz he is a 
I think he's a very good writer. It just guy sounds like an asshole. Yeah, yeah, that is unfortunate. But at the same time, I would, I wouldn't want that to stop people from watching this show. Also, because no, the cast I, is. I highly recommended it. I highly recommend this show. Even even apart from the writing, I think the cast brings a lot of life to this show, and they're a big part of the identity of and and the the reason why the show is so successful as well. They really embody, I think, the vision even if it's unfortunate that they had to endure a less than ideal working environment. Um, so, yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, little pilot history here. So this aired on March 10th, 1997 on the WB, R.I.P. Uh, on a to, Monday. On, on a Monday to 4.6 million viewers, which, you know what? For the WB, that was a good result. That's the, groundbreaking. That helped, that really kind of set the stage for what the WB was going to become. Yeah, it really helped solidify the WB as a teen broadcast network. And in doing so, you know, the WB never had the same numbers as the original three or even Fox. Yeah. But, you know, for, for what this show delivered, it was it definitely helped. They never it, needed those numbers. No, I mean, they they had their identity and it worked for some time. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, with the with the Slater shows that they had um, and it's also interesting though because I'm aware that the last two seasons of Buffy season six and seven aired on UPN so it's interesting to me that what was a very flagship show for the WB they wind up uh, shifting that to a different network at the end so I wonder what happens I really do because there are questions that I'm I'm asking myself like, are they in high school forever during this whole show? Or, like, I have... Like, right. I would think by season I'm very six and seven... what happens. Right? Like, you have to maybe uh, have a little bit of a departure from that initial premise. Uh, but here we have the first two... Again, like I said, the, the, the first two episodes aired on the same night. So part one being titled The Hellmouth and part two being Harvest. And so tonight we'll be discussing Hellmouth and next week Harvest. Uh, so, yeah, of course, this wasn't originally just a TV show. This actually was a movie that came out in 1992. And the original conception for Buffy the Vampire Slater, you know, Joss Whedon wanted to basically invert the Hollywood cliche of the blonde girl who gets killed in every horror movie, try to empower that archetype more. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, Whedon did not like how that film wind up turning out. You know, he wrote this script and... The directors, producers of that film turned it more into a broader comedy. He was looking for something that had more undertones oh, of horror. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, so, and, he's, and he's a very, like, his humor comes from pop culture references. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, uh, and um, tongue-in-cheek, like lampshade hanging, if, the term, if I'm using that term correctly. Like, don't go into that alley. Why? Was there going to be is there going to be a monster in there? And then... He likes the subversion and inverting and just like a hand grabs and it, it just he's very he's a very clever writer and I don't want to watch this I did not watch this movie for homework I don't want it this is a movie where the audience and critics agree right don't watch this <laughs> I agree a, I, I think it's I, a cult movie I think but whatever it's not something I don't think was necessary to appreciate the show and yeah. I, I guess I get a sense that the show is an improved version of his original vision. Uh, so, yeah, years after that film came out, Whedon was approached by a Fox executive to develop Buffy into a series. So he sold it as, again, his original vision, high school horror, 
uh, with supernatural elements that are basically metaphors for the anxieties adolescents go through. So, you know, pretty solid pitch there, I would say. Yeah. And so, yeah, Whedon produced and even uh, partially funded a 25-minute unaired pilot. Uh, that is not what we were discussing today. No, we, we're not. It is on YouTube, uh, but I also did not want to watch that. No, no. I mean, I think we want to discuss what people are you know, identifying as, as the actual final product of the show. Uh, so, yeah, he shopped that around, and the WB picked up the series and actually originally served as a mid-season replacement to a series called Savannah, which I am not familiar with at all. It's uh, lost. It's in the – it's gone – Think yeah. of all these shows that just don't make it. I know. Like, I, I mean, I guess this that was a good move for the WB because obviously this show wound up being way more successful. It The hook of this is so – I don't think – like, okay, of course, like, X-Files and stuff like that did exist. But for teens, I don't think – like, it, it was something so fresh at the time with that. And I would argue that, like, Whedon did – his writing style did – inspire so many other writers but he was the first it was so unique at the time yeah you know i think something to point out too that in the 90s there was more effort to gear programming towards teens but it was way more straightforward you know you had shows like beverly hills 90210 melrose place dawson's creek but those were very non-vampire fighting-esque <laughs> there were no <laughs> vampires come yeah. on people no but you know there's those are way more grounded obviously and yeah. there wasn't really a a teen show that had either uh, fantasy or sci-fi elements to them, like some more adult-oriented shows had at the time, like you mentioned, something like X-Files. So I think that does... Yeah, it feels very like young adult novel series, right? Uh, I think if you saw that as as a young avid reader, you know, a series of books on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that might you might find that very enticing and get lost in that I'll world. do you one better. Young graphic adult... Not, wait, I messed that up. Young adult graphic novel yes this feels very much like a comic book and i of course we didn't he went on to do the avengers the man loves comic books but it does feel like and i do think no i i do know that they continued the series in comic book form i read that as well which is pretty cool i think there's a lot of mythology that they established that is worth continuing to explore and you could probably do a lot more in a graphic novel form than in you know the 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 broadcast medium and i think uh buffy and everybody else like they're just great characters but i'm kind of curious like the future of these characters like do they remain friends does she get married like blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah no that's very true because we're just seeing this earlier part of their lives and how do they come out as as full-fledged adults if they were to revisit this show not that i'm asking them to but it's definitely something interesting to consider. No, I don't need. I don't need to see like a reunion episode. Like I would like to see. I'm. I'm surprised they haven't done like a retrospective podcast. Of course, I. I there think has Josh to be Whedon, one. It, I, I'm sure with Josh Whedon, it's going to be more like a therapy session at times. But it's. Uh, I'm kind of just. This show is ripe for uh, like Allison Hannigan and maybe Xander, whatever he's up to, just sitting down and like, oh, in this episode, or even Sarah Michelle Gellar. I really. I miss her. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that there's probably a bunch of uh, fan-produced podcasts rewatching this show, and I, yeah, I, the fans would love if if some of the cast came back to do the same thing. Uh, who knows? Um, so a little bit into the casting as well. You know, you get a lot of these situations that we've seen in some of the other episodes we covered, where 
the uh, the parts who were initially offered to other actors. You oh know, God, we almost got like a different a, version of the show. So who's who of teen stars? I know. So the original uh, Willow that was in the unaired pilot was uh, a, a Riff Reagan, who I'm not as familiar with, but going into the the actual premiere. They replaced her with Allison Hannigan, and she, she auditioned seven times. But they, she was able to capture what they, the um, Josh Whedon and the executives thought would be difficult to capture with this character would be someone who is shy and maybe a little self-deprecating, but also still very like likable and rootable. And you see like a seed of who that person really is. So I think, yeah, Alice, Allison Hannigan very much has this and endearing nerdy quality about her that definitely captures that that willow character very well she has very good timing and also just maybe it's just a part of every character that she plays she just looks like she has a secret Mm. and it like uh like how i met your mother and uh, like and not like a dark secret more like oh i shoved a flute up my ass in band (laughs) camp (laughs) those kind of secrets like oh i'm more i'm more I'm more crazy than you think I am kind of secret. Like Willow, right. I think had, I'm sure I'll, the more I explore this series, the more I will see that, but she is very good timing and yeah, without think, being full on nerd. I think it's a very identifiable character where there's a lot more potential that the character discovers that she has as the series goes on, right? As she comes out of her shell and you know, she kind of, um, you know, she blossoms in a very formidable character. Uh, and then moving on to the Xander character, portrayed by Nicholas Brendan. Yeah, here's the guy who was struggling financially. He had just gotten fired from a waiting job. Classic struggling actor story in Hollywood. Uh, but he was very um, keen on, on recognizing that basically the Xander character is just based on Joss Whedon or his, his own, you know, from what he perceived as, as himself, his teenage self in high school. And he, he kind of credits that's why he feels like he got like all the best lines uh, so I, I find that interesting. There's a little bit of, of um, I don't know, a, a little bit of personal fantasy going on for Joss Whedon, sort of oh, like I, a, an idealized version of you know, who he would be in a situation like this. Yes, and like he does kind of, it's like it, Ron Stoppable friend zone. Right. Like, I, I uh, wish fulfillment. That's kind of what I was going for. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, if he puts himself in this story and this is how he would perceive himself to be is admittedly kind of awkward, but also just uh, throwing out a lot of very witty quips and ultimately oh, yeah. uh, helping save the day. Now, I read that both Ryan Reynolds and Danny Strong, who who's a actually I think he created that show Dope Sick, but he's been a, he's a he's been an actor in like Mad Men and mm-hmm. other stuff, but they tried out for Xander. Can you imagine Ryan Reynolds? I think Ryan Reynolds, I guess he wasn't as witty as he was when he was younger. <laughs> you know, I think he might have been too, too good-looking. No, he might have been ah. too, too handsome for the part, because I do think that the Xander character is still kind of in this less popular clique that, uh, again, he's, he's a little bit of like an awkward nerd, at least in the beginning. So I, I, I wouldn't buy necessarily Ryan Reynolds in that I'm kind of I'm sorry, part. you're too good looking. <laughs> you know what? Good looking people can't have everything. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar originally offered the part of Cordelia, interestingly enough. And I, I feel like she probably would have played the character similarly to how she is in um, uh, Cruel Intentions. 
right? She yes. she's she's the mean girl in that, uh, and she was nearly the mean girl in this. But no, she winds up being our uh, titular hero. Uh, so and then the, the part of Cordelia uh, was offered to another actress, uh, Bianca Lawson, who had to turn that down for. Uh, due to scheduling conflicts, and then it was finally offered to the actress that we know the part for now, Charisma Carpenter. The good uh, part is, like, all these actresses that did end up trying out, I think, like, Julie Benz, who... Uh, I love her. Who, like, we know from Dexter, but she is the vampire. She's in this episode. Darla, she tr- I think. Darla, her- yeah. She tried out for... Uh, Buffy as well and a lot of these actresses who tried out they did end up bringing them back for arcs or uh, at least an episode because Bianca Lawson does show up in season two okay cool but Katie Holmes and Selma Blair were also considered for Buffy oh no way the part was offered and this is what this is uh, I want want a journey to this universe this part was offered to uh, Natasha Lyonne Wow. I can only imagine a very smoky, like, you mean to tell me there are vampires in here? Like, oh my like gosh. a, a Columbo meets vampires. Very different character, for sure. Uh, that would have been very interesting. But she turned it down because she was also, uh, I think she was 16, actually 16. And they wanted an older, like a semi-older well, to deal that... with the late hours and, yeah. That's and night That's what you yeah. typically get, right, with any show about young people is... The actor who plays the part is always older than the character themselves. So uh, a show about high school students, typically played by 20-something-year-old actors. That works for me, too. Yeah, I I think uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar was like 18, 19, too. Right, right. And another show, like, she gets this show, and then all of a sudden she's in I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2, uh, uh, what I just mentioned, um... Uh, cruel, blew up. cruel intentions right uh she got very popular from this and I-, I always thought it was interesting too she's in two horror movies and she gets killed off in both of them <laughs> um whereas like for this like i always see her as this very empowered and uh badass vampire killer and yet she's you know she gets killed off in those other horror movies so i don't know that i always found that to be a little bit unexpected but maybe that was the intention i get like buffy I I can't say for sure, but at least like just being a student of pop culture, Buffy is up there with like Sarah Connor and Eleven mm-hmm. now as just like a, a really great female science fiction fantasy character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, uh, no, it's kind of I, I guess they do that. I like, oh, hey, we know you can fight. We know you can choreograph fight. You're gonna die, and you're gonna be the second one to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some interesting things too about the design and look of the show. We mentioned a little bit about. The makeup, and I, I do like this. So Whedon came up with the idea of the vampire faces, right? When a when a vampire character uh, goes into, I guess, vampire mode, uh, you know, you get a very distinct demonic-looking face, which is interesting. So these aren't necessarily sexy-looking vampires. They're actually quite uh, off-putting, really. And I, I there was a couple of good reasons why they did that. Uh, one of the funnier reasons, I think, is so that way when Buffy was killing vampires... It wouldn't look out of context like she was killing normal people. <laughs> like I like that. I know, you know, but like it, it's a at least with the vampire shows that we will be covering. This is outside of being a full-on bat person or decomposed body. This is the they're giving the vampires like their individual look. Yeah, and I I like too that 
when a vampire is not in vampire mode, they do look like a normal person. That also helps create like a sense of paranoia. Anyone could be a vampire. You could really, and they established that twist in the first scene as we'll discuss, but I do like that element that by, by having that in this mythology, you free yourself up creatively that really uh, anyone at any time could be revealed to be a vampire. So I think that was really smart. It looks like they worked with the budget that they had. I'm sure they had like a, a pretty decent budget, but yeah, it's like how oh, and let's let the vampires turn to dust instead of like a pool of blood. Right, and that was another practical reason from a storytelling point of view. They didn't, the writers didn't want the main characters to have to clean up bodies, basically. <laughs> so it's like okay, they just basically they turn to dust or even just completely vanish when they die. Really, so that's never I, really. A, I get a that. Yeah, I get that fully. But there's like a murder one or two murders at this school every week right you would and think everyone's fine everyone's kind of fine with it <laughs> yeah yeah they do establish that and you would think that uh they'd send in like the fbi or some sort of larger law enforcement agency to figure out what the heck is going on here maybe send in uh you know a boulder from the x-files uh sell you know sell him was it Scully and Mulder? Scully and Mulder, yeah. Scully. Scully and Mulder. Yeah, like somebody to figure out what's going on here. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so the show comes out. It was very positively received from critics. They liked the mix of campiness, comedy, but also action and horror. So this show does blend a few different tones here in a way that just make it a lot of fun. But also there is a good amount of tension, I feel, in a lot of these episodes. And I think they do a good job in this first couple of episodes establishing that you know what like people aren't necessarily safe on this show there's one particular no. character they introduced that uh josh we wanted to be even more shocking uh of a death uh they we wanted to really like play that with the intro credits wasn't able to but we'll get that we'll get to that later on the the network basically said you're too subversive Whedon get out of here <laughs> you only do so much yeah uh, you can only like <laughs> you can only do so much um, I do like to with the reveal of the vampire when someone is revealed to be a vampire it's either like just like a quick cut they're like facing the other way and they turn around or it's a very cheesy uh, dissolve from normal face to vampire face you know like again that was the budget they had and it works for me because i think that does add to this sort of horror uh, that they're establishing yeah i'm kind of like it's very and i mean this in a positive way like it's a very 90s way mm. of going about a buffy the vampire slayer in high school like it like it you know the fight tech the, the maybe not they practice choreography they have something but it's very like yeah yeah. yeah, but there's some, something you get to some, that. There's sound effects, right? The like the, yeah, the punch sound effects. Like it, there's mm -hmm. something to that, and it, like it's kind of a way of like what we can't do anything else, but we are tongue in cheek with our campiness. Like we're like yeah. it's it's a kind of a win win for them. I agree. It's it's hard to to blend horror and comedy but i think they do that in a way where a lot of the comedy i think derives from the wit of the characters and the horror of course derives from the tension of you know the situation uh so let's let's dive in so you know here we are it is march 10th 1997 we are maybe some teenagers interested in a little uh little horror fantasy 
Uh, so Keith, now I think it's the time to take us to the pilot. So interesting first couple of seconds here of the show, it, there's a little prelude about how every generation there is one who is chosen to, to kill the vampire. She is the slayer. It's a quick little mashup here that I imagine was also used in the promos to promote the show, uh, you know, like the WB would air maybe leading up to this premiere night. Uh, but I don't know, like, how would you describe this little mashup here? Uh I'm happy they did it. It's like, oh, you know, th every generation, a slayer is chosen to, to kill the vampires. And it kind of is saying, hey, the origin already happened. This is like, we're, you're kind of jumping into it. Like, yeah, yeah, she already and knows. I appreciate it all the better. And I, as far as far along as I am, they don't really talk about, or they rarely talk about, like, the backstory. I'm kind of. Mm -hmm curious if and when they do like oh how she became because they really don't discuss it she just is i like that Deal a lot it. better you know because a character discovering that they are a slayer that could be interesting but that would really take a long time to write in a way there's that... so much that's so much in an already like stuffed two, yeah. two episode premiere i think you really want to get into the meat of it and yeah. uh yeah, that's that's fine. She is the Slayer, and now she, it's like she's running away from that role, but she's already aware of everything. That's perfect. So now we get this first scene here. It's uh, it's the Sunnydale High School, but it's at night. It's very creepy, and we see two students, or just two young people, breaking in to the science classroom. Uh, their names, I looked up. I don't think they say them in this scene. Their names are Chris and Darla. And yeah, The most normal names in this show. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's a good point, actually. So they, they are walking around. You know, Darla seems a little nervous. Chris is reassuring her. It's fine. You know, he seems like he's the one who's maybe a little edgy, and she's maybe a little innocent. Uh, but that's totally flipped on its head, because as soon as Chris confirms they're alone, there's no one around, Darla turns out to be a vampire, and she kills Chris. And that is your opening uh, scene there and I, I i really like that uh yeah this is again that character julie benz who i like and uh I, it, this is i think really doing a good job of establishing again like anyone could be a vampire and you're gonna think that the scene's going one way chris is the bad guy or he's the the dangerous one nope it's this girl who seemingly seems very sweet and innocent but she's not and uh, you don't know what to expect moving forward. So I think that's a very smart way to start the series. Yeah, it's short and to the point, and it also is like a, it's basically how Josh Whedon introduces his style. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I like, I will take an idea and cleverly like spin it. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think like, like uh, Cabin in the Woods. Mm -hmm. Like oh, oh right. yeah, the, like the, the telltale uh, horror movie, but underneath is just like this bureaucratic. All right, yeah. folks, what do we do? Like it's it's fun. Like yeah, you're everyone's expecting. I wonder if people were more uh, lacking 
like how a story is told, like the tropes, like, oh, like everyone's like, okay, this guy's definitely like, I, I like this show's called the vampire slayer. This guy's a vampire. He reeks of vampire. Right. And you got this sweet, sweet girl. Like, oh, I don't know. What's that noise? What's that noise? Well, I like, think he's it's setting very up. clever. He's harkening back to a lot of those like 80s slasher movies where you, know, you have this couple that's in a precarious situation. And usually the girl is the one who gets killed there. And so that's, that's, literally his his mission point here with this concept is uh turning those cliches and archetypes on their head uh so after that opening scare we get the opening credits that rock and roll buffy the vampire theme song fun little mashup there of uh scenes from the series with all the different characters and it's a very recognizable theme song i would say not from once again i i really enjoy coming at it with like this is had you not heard this before no i like this is this is like me never even hearing about the red wedding it's like oh like oh wow like i am so fresh to this show uh that yeah buffy like i i think the closest i've ever come to buffy was seeing uh, commercials for it after like saturday morning cartoons Okay, okay. Well, I mean, it was on the WB, right? So, exactly. Like, you know, if you're watching Animaniacs at 9 a.m., you might see a promo for Buffy later that night. As, like, sanitized, as safe as it is for 9 a.m. Like, yeah. I, but I, I'd never heard this before, and, yeah, no, it, it's very catchy, bow, I think. Bow, bow. So now uh, we get scene two here. Buffy is, uh, she's dreaming here of vampires and religious imagery. It's, like, an interesting mashup here. I guess some moments from her past. Um, so then she, you know, she wakes up and you get a sense that they just moved to this new town. She's surrounded by boxes and you know, now it's time for her first day at this new school. Uh, so now we move on to uh, you know, now sunny day high school during the day. Buffy's getting dropped off by her mom for a new day at school. And uh, we, you know, we, now we meet our slave characters. We got... Um, well, uh, before that, like, there is hints of, like, oh, this girl was kicked out. Like, Oh, right, right. Because then you have, you know, uh, the mom, Joyce, is telling Buffy, you know, things are going to be good. It's a fresh start. You, know, you do get a sense that uh, they're moving here or out of necessity, <laughs> that, you know, th- that Buffy is uh, basically uh, trying to forget her past. But I don't think – and the mom knows. I remember why – like, I always thought at least, like, oh, this. how do you – She's basically Spider-Man a little bit. Like, or at least, like, the, the uh, a superhero, like, I have to hide my powers. But her mom, as I've discovered, just is completely unaware. I got that sense. Her. Yeah. It's I like, you're, I just have a troubled kid. Yeah, basically, yeah. So she, she doesn't really know. And I, I'm not sure how much they go into her relationship with her mom and, and hiding that. I, I'm sure they have to address that. But I know, at least in the earlier episode, it's more about uh, her... Uh, reconciling this Slayer role she has with her new friends who we go on to meet. So uh, now we get to meet uh, Xander, Willow, and Jesse. They're talking about there's a new girl, which uh, that kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, you know, Twilight does the same thing, right? Like, there's a new person. There's a new person. Everyone's obsessed. I'm sure that definitely... Yeah, uh, sca- uh, Xander def- skateboarding and mm-hmm. hits his, uh, you know... <gasps> All right, yeah, he's a bit of a, a little bit clumsy. And you have Willow, who's it's very shy, and then you just have this guy Jesse, who's just part of the group for now. <laughs> yeah, Eric Balfour, who is another character actor. You've seen him in another like I. He's been in a ton of pilots, I think, because like yeah. and maybe we'll do a shot every time he's in a pilot. But he looks familiar to me. Fr- 
Uh, no, yeah, we'll do a shot every time he's in a pilot. Pilot, but yeah, he has that distinct long face and uh, like mm. and, and goatee. He kind of has like my facial hair. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like very tall. Um, so yeah, so like they're they're discussing here. We meet this group of friends. Um, meanwhile, Buffy uh, is is meeting with the principal, and uh, we get a little more of principal Fluty. Yes, yes. Uh, who, what, what's his first name? People call me Bob, or but they, oh yeah, but, yeah. The Bob students Flutie. they can call me Bob, but they don't. <laughs> I wouldn't call my principal by his first name. Now, fun fact that's only fun for our podcast is. I know we don't need to watch the unaired pilot, but guess who played the principal in the unaired pilot? Oh, I don't know. Steve, Steven Tobolowski. Oh, oh, okay. That would like, have been fun for this. I think he would fit. He in missed this role. out again. Damn it, Steven. Oh, well, he, oh. he can sell uh, Bill Murray more insurance. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, Buffy's meeting with the principal who, again, he's promising her as well, a clean slate. And now we get a little more of establishment of, what Buffy's past was. She was expelled from her previous school for burning down the gym. But it was filled with vent. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say instead? Like, it was filled with uh, something oh. that doesn't sound anything like vampires. Like, she just starts... This is like cockroach or something like that. Yeah, or... she just starts a whole new word over. Um, so, yeah, so... But this was the scene that we didn't know that she was perfect for Buffy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she has very good timing in this, right? Like, like kind of uh, clumsily trying to hide the the truth there. Um, so you know that this is what she's looking for, right? A, a clean slate, trying to live more, more of a normal teenage life. Uh, and then after her meeting there with the principal, uh, she finally meets Xander in the hallway. They bump into each other. He has an awkward introduction, but the main thing of this is that she accidentally leaves behind her steak. I guess <laughs> even though she doesn't want to be a slayer, she just keeps that around with her at all times. And uh, that I would feel like that'd be a very disturbing thing to to find is this like basically a shank coming out of someone's backpack. I, I don't think I would know what to make of it. I would like I'd be a little disturbed. Like, why does this person have this makeshift weapon in their backpack? Cute people can get away with a lot, JJ. <laughs> Classic blondes. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, now we move on to uh, history class here. I think it's very apropos. They're talking about the, the Black Plague. The Black Plague. They're just hearkening back to medieval, uh, like, you know, Middle Ages. And so Buffy here now meets Cordelia in history class. And a little funny scene here. You know, we get a quick sense that Cordelia is – she's basically the, the mean girl in school, the popular girl, the Regina George. There's a lot of Malfoy in her, at least with this scene. It's mm. like you can – you like, you want to hang out with me? Like, like – I'm trying to remember that scene with Malfoy, but it's like there are there are cool people and there are poor wizards. Like, oh right, it's like you can hang with me and we'll be jerks to everybody together. <laughs> and then the heroes be like, um, oh, no, I'm good. Yeah, she reminds me of that other character from Kim Possible. That that other, like Cordelia is like part of the main cast. Yeah, but is not a part of the like she's just that popular foil. I would well, say. Well, I do her. believe, because uh, I did actually watch um, a bunch of the first season a few years ago. I don't know why it didn't stick, but I think I might do that this time. But I am aware that she does she she does become aware of... Oh, no, of, I, I, I don't right? want to like, spoil, she, but at the end of the season one finale, she does, uh, she becomes a part of the plot. Uh, but she's right. like, I don't want any part of it. She's not, she doesn't join the gang, but she's aware of like all the monsters and vampires now once again I'm, i just started the second season so i don't know where it goes but she also 
this show does have a spinoff, and we'll talk about it later. But she mm-hmm. does join that spinoff, and I'm very curious about her about her character in general. Like, where does her character go and grow? Well, I think it's a classic situation where a character totally turns around, and I bet you a lot of fans, when they first start watching the show, it's like, oh, she's the mean girl. We don't like this character because of how she treats the other characters. And then she winds up growing so much and evolving that she becomes a fan favorite. And I love that. Oh, yeah. I love any show that a character grows in a way that you dislike the character at the beginning, and then by the end, you love them, and they wind up being part of the reason you love the show in general. They, they have some of your favorite moments. There is one episode in the first season where it's more centered around her, and she's like, why? Basically, why are you such a bitch? And it's just like, I don't want to be, but it's, you know, it's like, it sucks having to have these cool people around, and no one knows, she, no one knows who I am, really. Like, you find out how lonely she is. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious if she does, like, I could be totally wrong. She might join this gang but it's amazing it's it's good to know that like she does jump away to a spinoff and i'm just fascinated by this character yeah i I read about her i think that's pretty cool and even if she doesn't become part of the gang i think she does become part of the cause oh that's a good way to phrase it at the very least right i think she at least helps out in the their day-to-day adventures uh, as the series goes on she gets more she's involved. a good character at least from a writing perspective it's a good character to have because at this point who doesn't know like oh and i'm just making this up it's like oh willow ran off with that person like i don't why is he doing this like you kind of get this like different perspective like oh sh- you find out uh just she can help move the plot forward in a way that's like uh she doesn't know what the actual plot is right she is she can be like an unwitting thorn in the character side or an obstacle right she makes things a little more complicated without realizing and i I think we've seen from some of the other shows we've seen in the past that or that we've discussed in the previous uh podcast episodes that uh, a foil for the main character is a really um powerful thing uh to to like as a storytelling uh, device, you know, like just someone who really just creates more tension there from the main character and, um, you know, just kind of like maybe adds like a little more of a, of a left turn in, in the stories. Uh, so now we, uh, we move on to the library and this is Which where will we become one of our main set pieces. Yes. Yes. And this is where basically the characters in future episodes will basically like, um, have a powwow to discuss their game plans, right? Um, uh, share notes on their discoveries. So here, you know, we uh, Buffy is she sees a newspaper about the missing the missing boys in the area, just like missing kids, which uh, I think is a little bit of a foreshadow here. And we meet the librarian Giles, and he's being very unsubtle about how he's aware of Buffy's status as a slayer. He immediately just slams this very old book that says vampires on it (laughs) um and of course to that buffy she flees she doesn't want anything to do with that now to any this is how once again how new i am to this series i have watched episodes of ted lasso and really enjoyed it and had no idea that rupert from ted lasso was anthony was is giles wait which character hannah's and uh, uh, 
the ex, the guy who. Uh, oh, the guy who she's trying to spite in the beginning of Ted Lasso. Yeah, the guy who uh, who owns the other team. Wow. I don't know where you, I don't know where you are in Ted Lasso, but he is. Uh, he I know he's in the first season, but he divorces her. Right. Rebecca. Right. Rebecca. I'm saying the actress's name. Rebecca's ex. And I'm watching this going, okay, this guy's a British actor. He's good. He's play- he's a good dick. And then I'm watching Buffy this episode, and I'm going, where have I seen this actor before? Holy shit, it blew my mind. And wow. I also, this is my favorite character. <laughs> my mind is blown now, too, and I'll have to rewatch those Ted Lasso scenes with him because I, I never even considered that where this, other, where this actor could have also been uh, in something I've seen. Amazing. Uh, Wow. But uh, no, this is my favorite character, and this is a character who's necessary for a show like this, I think. Oh, I think so. I think he adds uh, a little more of um, – I, I feel like he's like a safety net in this show because he is like the encyclopedia. He's the guy to go to. He has the wisdom, and he's a really good guide for not just Buffy but the whole group in general. I, I think there's something about him that makes the show feel a little safer. A little bit, but it's also in, in addition to it being a teen show. They're also he's a good connect to the lore. Like he yeah. is a we'll find out he's a watcher. Like he comes from a family of watchers, but he is that. And he also has that British wit too. Yeah, yeah. He has like, a sense of um, authority about him. He's Vision. I realized. Yeah. He's, like it, no wonder that Whedon did a very good job at creating and writing Vision. This character is Vision. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a, a, a character that uh, I also really like too, and um, he's also a character you know that is is never he's not he's sometimes finding himself in harm's way as well, which I like. Oh, I yeah. think there's like kind of a sense that he's like a sideline character at first, but I think you don't have to get too far into the series before like he's also someone that needs saving, and I like that. That there's there's not ever a character who's out of harm's way all the time. Him and Willow are like the the people in the chair, so to speak, like just like ca- calling Buffy and like, oh, you know, the the ghost is from this book. But they also have their not only their own episodes, but they also uh, develop as like fighters too. They learn, no. they find themselves in situations and get out of them with with and without Buffy. I like that. I like that they grow to basically stand on their own, defend themselves instead of just being a character that supports the main hero but it's nice to have an adult in the room it is that's 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 how i feel at times and he is and he is just like a he's serious enough like oh come on gang like you can't what are you doing dating you can't be dating you have to be fighting vampires like it's that kind of humor works very well um to kind of like round out this cast uh, so then we get an act break here. We've, well, actually, before we do, we get one little quick scene here. Great joke, by the way, in this scene, too. It's like, uh, oh, well, what kind of name is Buffy? Goodbye, aphrodisiac. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> like, a little quip here between these two girls, and then uh, they open a locker, and out falls the body of Chris, the the guy who was killed in the opening scene. So, uh, you know, quick little, little scare there before the next commercial break. Hey, Cordelia. Oh, please. I don't mean to interrupt your downward mobility, but I just wanted to tell you that you won't be meeting Coach Foster, the woman with the chest hair, because Jim was canceled due to the extreme dead guy in the locker. What? What are you talking about? Some guy was stuffed in Aura's locker. Dead. Totally dead. Way dead. It's not just a little dead then. Don't you have an elsewhere to be? 
So yeah, we have the commercial, and then we come back to the next scene. It's lunch period, and Buffy is going on her own to Willow to ask her to hang out, and she's she's very surprised, but she's she's happy to befriend Buffy, and you know, she's gonna help Buffy with her grades. You know, she's basically like very grateful, but also surprised that Buffy would come out and befriend her. And I think this is uh, very telling of of the Buffy character herself, where you know she is going to seek out. Um, yeah, and try to be maybe a hero in in other kinds of ways. No, she has her. Uh, I think they're called the Scooby Gang. If I'm not like, hmm. and I or something like that. But they definitely have that like Island of Misfit Toys. The not the Outcast because people like them, but just uh, that that group of friends that they're not popular. Right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. They are kind of like the misfits here who. I'm sure their um, their library meetings about vampires won't help their popularity. They're much not the at cool kids, but people like them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, Willow also. I think she in these first few episodes, she kind of like unwittingly informs Buffy uh, some key information, like about how Giles is actually a new librarian, and that kind of keys Buffy into the fact that you know he is seeking her out. Like this Giles guy actually is more on a mission. It's not a coincidence that the librarian at the school uh, also happens to know quite a bit about vampires. Uh, and then Jesse and Xander join. Uh, you get Xander awkwardly again trying to charm Buffy. Uh, but Gives he her back her steak. Gives her back the steak, which uh, she doesn't really have much to defend that with, uh, before Cordelia shows up and informs the group. Everybody about... shows up. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, this is kind of like uh, all the characters coming together. And Cordelia, uh, she, you know, she randomly pops by to tell them that yeah, about the dead body that was found in the girls' locker rooms. And you know, that definitely keys off Buffy, so she leaves to investigate. And uh, she manages in the next scene here to sneak in to the locker room and find that the body has a bite mark on Not only neck. sneak in, like, she, like she, you find out, like, at least showing, not telling. She has super strength. Yeah, that's right. She yeah, she breaks in. Very, very strong. Yeah, she, um, very resourceful, too. So, she does what needs to be done, and she uh, you know, confirms her fear, basically, that this guy was killed by a vampire. So she, in the next scene here in the library, she returns to confront Giles. And, yeah, they have this conversation here, which I really think is the crux of establishing the, um, you know, the, the hook of the show, right? Because here now Giles is insisting that Buffy is the chosen slayer. Like, she must fulfill her duty. She must save this town from these impending forces which might not even just be limited to vampires she's saying sunnydale there's something about this town that is attracting supernatural events and supernatural beings but you know buffy she just wants to be a normal teenager right and it's not fair in her view that she can't make friends and live a normal life because she has to do this insane job of killing vampires that really um you know, prevents her from making strong connections with other people. So I think that that ultimately, I think, is the crux of the struggle of this show. You know, someone who has this superhero-like job, but is really just trying to also um, have as much of a normal teenage experience as possible. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, I know. And that's before Spider-Man became really popular, too. Yeah, that's a, that, that just makes that... Um, that comparison that, that you made before too about how being being a superhero basically you're right you're right that's basically what she is now there's an interesting fact about this scene and i'm kind of 
I'm gonna read it because it, like I'm kind of curious if you saw it too. But this she, this scene was actually shot twice because the first time it was rejected by Whedon because Buffy was too emotional. Mm. But Whedon wasn't on set, and he waited until he directed the series finale to reshoot it. Really? That's, wow. But that like, isn't that. Well, that's what I read. <laughs> and, oh wow! Okay. Like I, I find that so I'm kind of curious if the version I'm assuming that we both watched this on Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, I'm kind of curious if that was the the one that was shot in like what when the show in like 2002 2003 yeah it had to be around, around that there. time if like, it was a seven se- a seven seasons uh, run it would have to be in the early 2000s so, yes yeah, so that's interesting that he would do that after the fact because you would think also by the finale you're not really thinking of reshooting something from so long ago anyway uh so i i'm watching the scene that at least in a version that is on hulu i don't think she's being too emotional but no i don't think we saw the emotion i don't okay. think we saw that i think we saw the the re the second time the the one that they shot during the finale i think Okay, he doesn't want the character to be too emotional about it, but I would think it's a very emotional thing that she is pleading here. You know, she she's basically saying, "I want a normal life. I don't want this." And she would, I imagine, be at her wit's end, because basically she comes she comes to the school to leave behind her her role as a slayer, and now she's discovering that she can't do that. So that is an emotional thing to have to reconcile. But she's also very restrained. And like I, I'm guessing, okay. she was like, "I don't want to be a slayer anymore." Yeah, if she was like, too like whiny about that, it, I guess. Like I don't want to do this. She's because uh, I noticed after reading this fact and watching this scene, she's very like, "I don't want to do. Th- I want to nor-. like." She's holding a lot back. Well, she seems more fed up than anything else. That's it. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of more of what we did wants to establish with this character is that you know you've, she's going to. She's going to be more forthright in in. I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, but you know, if she if she is getting upset, it's not that she's going to be whiny or poor me. She's going to be more outspoken about uh, her her grievances. So I I guess that that fits into the character as well. He, she's trying to make sure that this character's toughness is preserved. I suppose. Uh, Slayer slays a uh, watcher. Watches. Yes. No. He he trains her. He 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 prepares her. Prepares me for what? For getting kicked out of school? For losing all of my friends? For having to spend all of my time fighting for my life and never getting to tell anyone because I might endanger them? Go ahead. Prepare me. Now um, the scene concludes with Xander being revealed to have overheard the whole conversation of course he's very confused like what the heck i can only can you imagine listening to a librarian and a student argue about how, their need to kill vampires uh yeah very jarring to say or like least. what if like you overheard someone i overheard like you and eric just talking about like oh yeah we gotta go kill the vampire i would i would think you're talking about like a halloween party or something yeah right you, you would think that something is there's got to be some logical explanation to all that uh, but you know, Giles does warn Buffy too uh, as she's storming out into the hallway that the supernatural events that are happening in Sunnydale they're only going to get worse and she's going to have to step in she won't have a choice basically And uh, before how bad it... could it get? <laughs> we shall see 
And uh, before we get another act break here, we cut back, uh, or we cut to a vampire lair. We establish basically the the home of this like underground lair of the vampires. And there's uh, one vampire here named Luke, who is pledging to make the world bleed, and he is summoning a sleeper to awake. And uh, we'll find out later that's basically the head vampire that he is he's trying to summon, the master. Which uh, I, I'm looking forward to introducing this character, by the way. So we get an act break again. And uh, now we go back to you know, Buffy's room. She's getting ready to go out. And you know, her mom chimes in again. And she's saying you know, I, I, that she's very hopeful that their new lives in Sunnydale are going to be going to be better. That you know, they're going to be able to be much happier there. And it, so this is interesting. The mom's just kind of just chiming in, I think, to represent that idealistic... Um, or that idyllic sort of hope that Buffy has initially about being able to have a clean slate, but um, as we see that yeah, she she's no longer buying into that mentality anymore. Just be normal. Be normal. <laughs> Is that so hard? Uh, so now we cut to you know, Buffy walking to the party, but you know, she's being followed by some mysterious figure in the shadows, and she she catches on, so she basically uh goes to hide in an alleyway and as the figure emerges she ambushes him and this isn't just any figure we don't learn his name in this scene but i think everyone at this point in time knows who this character is it is uh angel basically but we again that that isn't necessarily established in this scene but he he warns buffy of an upcoming harvest uh and he you know he says like i'm a friend i'm an ally and he tosses her across, and that's all we get of him in this first episode. So yeah, this uh, is why I was this when I, as I was watching this pilot. This is why I was like, I hope they don't stay in high school forever because David Boranitz, Boranitz looks uh, look like he's in his late twenty. Obviously, he's a good-looking guy. He just looks like mm-hmm. an older man right. who is. And I'm like, she's in high school. She, she's in high school, Angel. But that's something that like, I guess like in the past. I guess 20 something years now, like, Oh, vampires, uh, like twilight, like, Oh, I'm 118 years old, but I look like I look like I'm 17. So that's technically okay. (laughs) It's not, but within this world, you have to accept it, I suppose. But, uh, I think they do also a good job here of, uh, establishing the appeal of this angel character as we'll eventually come to know him as, uh, as again, a very mysterious guy, that there's more to and uh, there'll be more of twists with him as the the these first two episodes unravel so now we cut to the club the the bronze right that's what it's called um every town had a bronze like we used to go all the time oh sure yeah just the abandoned factory by the woods there's the big club there so you know buffy arrives and there's a rock band playing and she finds willow who's waiting for Xander. And uh, yeah, we, we get a little more insight to Willow here. She's basically romantically inexperienced and Buffy tries to give her a little bit of advice. You know, life is short and you should seize the moment, which, you know, might sound like good advice, but maybe not the best advice as we find out as uh, where this will lead Willow in a moment. Uh, but yeah, Buffy also sees Giles is upstairs. So she, she goes up to confront him again, like, you know, leave me alone. But at the same time, she uh, relates to him what she learned about this upcoming harvest. I hope this show at one point, and I could, this show has like an episode where like two students, it's just 
we never see them except for this episode and they just are there in the background because can you imagine not only are you having like murders in school unexplicably but you're also like your librarian is showing up to your nightclub yeah right it's like what is this guy doing here clearly he sticks out like a sore thumb he's always Uh, talking about like demonic forces and stuff yeah it's like come on man like do you have any other interests (laughs) i guess he's devoted to this this mission but uh come on lighten up a little uh, so we get a couple other like quick scenes here in the club. We get Jesse being rebuffed by Cordelia. Uh, we get um, you know uh, Giles, go back to Giles and, and Buffy. Uh, you know Giles is challenging Buffy to spot a vampire. You know she should be able to uh, intuitively spot one or know when one's around. So she sees a suspicious guy and turns... <laughs> that made me laugh. She's like, oh, there he is, <laughs> <laughs> right there. But she's talking to Willow. And uh, he, the guy is going to lead Willow outside. So now she's got to go save the day. So, uh, yeah, Buffy goes outside to look for Willow. She nearly attacks and kills Cordelia with the stake, uh, which will obviously um, cause a little more tension between those two characters. Uh, but then also Jesse talking to a girl, not just any girl, it is Darla. So we already know about that character. And so another, so we get basically uh, Willow and Jesse put, uh, unwittingly putting themselves in danger here. And before the next commercial break, we cut back to the vampire layer yet again. And now, now the head vampire uh, rises out of the pool of blood in a very interesting sequence. Uh, Great makeup, I must say. Like props to uh, the makeup on this guy, and, and well, and the, the fact that he could talk. Oh, yeah, but I think it suits actually the voice of this actress. This is Mark Metcalf, who some people might know if you've seen Animal House, right? He was Niedermeyer. Um, Really? Yeah, yeah. I I recognize his voice right away, and this is why I was excited to introduce this character, because I have a Seinfeld alert. Play the bass. Uh, So this guy is the maestro, who appears in two episodes in Seinfeld. He's in the season seven episodes uh, the maestro and in the doll so yeah he plays a, a guy named Bob his real name is Bob but his whole thing is he insists on being called the maestro um, so uh, yeah that is the actor playing and I think he's a really good choice for this because he's kind of um, this tall lanky guy you know I think a lot of old ancient vampires typically have that sort of stature and his voice you know he's got like a very distinct voice that I the think harvest the, is happening the makeup and the teeth i think accentuate that voice or at least warp his voice in a way that is ideal for that kind of uh scary demonic type character so uh there we have it the the head vampire here the master as he's credited as so we get one more final commercial break before the uh this last couple of sequences here i am weak in the harvest You'll be restored, the harvest. We're almost there. Soon we'll be free. So back in the vampire lair, uh, you know the head vampire is—he's trying to test his powers, but he's still—he's still weak. And he, he tells uh, the other vampire Luke that he needs young blood to power him. So I can't uh, they do old blood? Like I—I I, I get why. Like it, it's part of the mystique of vampires and stuff, but like. An old person would be much e- easier to catch, and you don't have to worry about like a vampire slayer out there. Like, it's no like, one's going to a nursing home. 
Yeah, but Keith, think about when you go to the produce section of a grocery store, right? You want those young, ripe fruits, or even the fruits that are not quite ripe yet. You don't want the old, shriveled up fruits. You want the ones that are fresh, and are, those are the healthy ones. We that... sincerely apologize to our old listeners. <laughs> we want you. I'm uh, just saying, if you're no, a vampire yeah. and you see people as food, you know, that's the equivalent of how yeah, we that's see some, fresh food. That's foods. some good blood. Yes. Yeah, no, and of course it works for the plot. But yeah, I was like, you guys could cut, you guys could save a lot by just capturing like a fifty-year-old man. <laughs> that's that's probably true, but uh, you know, we gotta we gotta go after the teens because that is basically the whole uh, appeal of the show. So uh, <laughs> then we cut to the cemetery here. This is basically the climactic sequence of this episode. So you know, Willow is led by. Um, Thomas, I think is the name of the suspicious man who turns out to be a vampire. So she's led through the cemetery and eventually into a crypt. She's which... asking all the right questions. She's like, I've never seen – do you take Mr. Chomsky's uh, history class? And I'm like, that, that that's a Noam Chomsky reference. But, uh, but she's, she's like, very, oh, no. very innocent, right? She's asking these questions. She's rightfully suspicious, but you know, she's, she's hoping it's going to be okay. And you could tell that – She's getting scared, but she's trying to keep it together. So you know, we also have Buffy uh, looking around for Willow. She runs into Xander, and you know, Xander tells her like, "I overheard that conversation. You being a being a slayer. Like, what's all that about? No time to explain. They have to find Willow because she's in trouble, and uh, they basically now uh, go to the cemetery to look for her. Back in the crypt, you know, Willow is is cornered now by by Thomas and also now Darla. And we see that Jesse has been bitten on the neck. So now we have a whole sequence here where you know, Buffy and Xander arrive. And we get a little bit of a fight scene. Uh, Thomas is killed, turning to dust. I think that's our first vampire kill of the series, right? We see that's how yeah. vampires die. Uh, I wonder if this show was made today, would uh, Xander and Willow find out so soon? I wonder if, like... Mm. like I can understand. Part of me was wishing, like, oh, I this show could deal with like the comedy of like Buffy keeps walking away strangely. She keeps rushing out, uh, doing mm -hmm. weird things, and then later, episode two or three, they find out. But uh, you can only keep that no, up they, for so. They long. find out. Yeah, you can only keep it up for so long. But they find out. Like, it's like, are you like, oh wait, you're serious? Oh, we gotta go save Willow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least in the very. Um the most basic appeal that you know willow is in trouble and they have to save her but once you get to that crypt and you see the one guy turn to dust and darla turn her face into that vampire face and then they have no choice but to accept that this is their reality and vampires are real. life has changed at sunnydale yeah. that is a big moment there so yeah we get buffy and darla fighting a little bit of a cat fight yeah 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 <laughs> yeah right and then uh then basically that character luke that vampire arrives who has a very deep yeah, yeah, uh, a little more intimidating. Xander, Willow, and Jesse flee, but they're yeah they find that they're surrounded in the cemetery by a whole army of vampires. And as Luke and Buffy fight, Luke promises that vampires will be taking over the earth. And it seems like he has her in a very vulnerable position. Is about to finish her off when we get basically every TV viewer's worst nightmare to be continued. <laughs> Freeze frame. And that is the end of the part one of the two-part Buffy premiere. So there we have it, Keith. I mean, we, we'll save our review ultimately next week when we finish this two-part premiere. But what do you think? I mean, 
Yeah, th I think it's interesting that they have even this to be continued freeze frame when basically the next episode is going to be airing right away. It's like to be continued right now. I wish I was a little older. Uh, th that's what I like. I'm happy to discover this show now, but I wish I was a little older just to like my, my mind right now. I'm kind of looking at the production of it. I'm, I'm looking at the writing. I'm not kind of, I'm, I'm experiencing it, but if I was just a little, I was seven in 1997. If I was just a, like, if I was maybe like 10 or closer to like middle school and I know I would have watched this. I know I would have like this would have been my show, mm -hmm. and I would have just like really experienced it. Not notice any mistakes or production errors or no, no. I, I wouldn't like. But no, I that's that was my thought as I was watching this pilot. I'm like, this show. It's not that I missed it. It's just I was too young to really. Like I was, I was off doing other playing Super Smash Brothers or something like that. Right, right. But I could see at the right age here, uh, being very invested in the show and really um, tuning in every week. Well, we'll see. Well, I mean, we'll we'll conclude that. We'll answer that question of would we watch next week at the end of this two part premiere. Uh, you know, again, we will be continued as well. I would continue it. I, I like. I would hit the. Well, how easy I would, would stay it be? for that extra hour is you what know, I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, right? Because if uh, – I believe the WB has uh, – and now the CW historically had just that two-hour prime block. So, yeah, you watch this first part from 8 to 9. And if you want to stick around from 9 to 10, how hard is that? You do at least want to find out what happens yeah. at the end of this particular battle. So This show made me realize I miss, like, that Monday action show. Like, mm -hmm. that was always a good start to the week. Yeah. Cause like oh, it's like oh Mondays I hate Mondays I'm Garfield but <laughs> so it's like I like I always had uh and well there are other shows that were on Monday that we'll talk about but it was I I my heart goes out to the teenagers of yesteryear I guess the older millennials uh, Gen Xers who did watch the show that really kind of made ah oh, school starts on Monday not you got Buffy to look. Uh, forward to yeah that's that's a good point especially in the the early ages of the internet you know we didn't have social media you had message boards like specific you had buffy fan pages probably like yeah content was just way more limited so yeah these shows probably meant a lot at the time and i agree it could be a good way to get you out of the monday blues at least like you said you have buffy to look forward to some vampire action all right so We'll be back next week for part two of the Buffy premiere. And until then, Keith, catch you at the rest of this pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us To The Pilot. That's Take Us To The Pilot with the number two. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.